When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Again, may the Lord add his richest blessings to the reading of his word. Thank you. You may be seated. Father, we would come before you again this morning asking that there be no distractions in the hearts of people as we hear what your word has to say. Certainly this time that the beloved Apostle John writes about here in Revelations, written some 2,000 years ago, there are some who might say, where's the promise of his coming? And yet your word is sure. Every promise that was given so far has been fulfilled and we know that at the end times, the apocalypse that will take place, that it will be a horrible time for those who are here on earth. And I pray that we would not get caught up in all the sensationalism or speculation in regards to revelation, but that we would see through this, that we would see Jesus Christ high and lifted up. We prayed earlier in our missions moment for our fellow brothers and sisters in a very difficult country and difficult land. And Lord, we failed to mention again and pray for the two countries, Montenegro as well as in Montserrat, the island of Montserrat in the Caribbean. And despite the fact that there are only a handful of believers there in those countries, I pray that they would be faithful, bring revival to their hearts just as we have prayed for revival in ours. Lord, there are many within so-called evangelicalism and many are only willing to give lip service or token service to you and yet we are called to be more than Sunday Christians. We are called to be believers who every aspect of our life should reflect Jesus Christ. So may this be so for your name's sake. As we continue with Revelation chapter 8 this morning, we look at these first five verses and just a brief look back and what we have already covered in chapter 6 and 7. I pray, Lord, that again, that we would be attentive. We thank you, Lord, again for your word and the privilege of being able to share these words today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have never read all the way through the book of Revelation, it is at this point that you may be tempted to stop reading. Because Revelation is not an easy book to get through. What is taking place is not easy to read and it is truly apocalyptic. I've heard many believers who have said that. They, they get through the first chapter, maybe the first two or three chapters that are discussing what is going on with the churches and they read that far and they say, oh, that's about all I can handle. Now I know that there are some who have asked me, for example, if there's anything that I fear in my own personal life. And by way of illustration, I will say, yes, there are some things that I fear. I fear spiders. I have arachnophobia. 
I'm afraid of the dark. I really don't like being underground. My dad was telling me about a, a, a movie or a documentary that he was watching this week about the, the, the boys in Thailand a few years ago who were caught underground. And just thinking about that put shivers up and down my spine. I don't like the idea of spelunking as they call it. But for we who are true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, the reality is that there is nothing that we should fear. And certainly we should not fear death. We should not be fearing what's coming because the Lord is going to return. We know this. We know that he is going to establish his earthly kingdom. We do know that when we read these passages and we see all of the horrendous things, all of the destruction that is going to be poured out over the next couple of months probably, we're going to be looking at the seven trumpets. We're looking at the seventh seal today. The bowls, the vials of wrath that are going to be poured out. One day, God will have his day here on earth. And it will not be an easy time. All true believers, though, are under the care of the great shepherd. We looked at this in one of our passages and nothing will befall us that will not make us more like the Savior. Yes, we can be afraid of death, but death should Simply for us as Christians, that's simply a portal to a great promotion that will never end. Amen? We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about, as we sing in that song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. If that is where our hope is at today, you have nothing to fear. Now we're into the future. In chapter 5, we found the only one worthy to open the seals in the scroll. And we saw who this was. And of course, we find as well in chapter 5, verse 9, we saw that there were people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation who were singing the praises of God around his throne. What a great anthem. Anybody here ever heard Handel's Messiah? Okay, If you've ever gone somewhere where they have played Handel's Messiah, I hope that they bring it back here in Cheyenne at some point. It hasn't been but here once, I think, in the last 15 or 20 years. But when they get to the Hallelujah Chorus, it is just thrilling to sing and, and to think that as we stand on our feet, and of course the, the choir director, the conductor, he will have everybody stand. It's, it's a long-standing tradition. One day you won't have to be invited. You will do it because it is what it is in your heart to do. We then got to chapter 6. And in chapter 6, we saw six of the seals that will take place, and each one spells more doom against a world that hates God and His chosen children. Let's do a brief recap on the previous six seals. The first seal, the first seal was the white horse. This represents a false peace. Now, if you've been watching the news, you will know that there is a great deal of talk that is going on around the world about peace, supposedly peace in the world. If you've been following the conflict that is taking place, they have now signed another ceasefire or a brief, I think it's a 24 or 48 hour truce in Sudan between the two warring factions. Here's the problem. The Bible already tells us that the wars are going to continue until the Prince of Peace arrives. 
along with the false peace, the false sense of security that brings with it or that comes with this first seal, the white horse, the rider on the white horse, we found secondly, the second seal was a red horse and this was war. Again, if you were to take a look and you were to do some Google searching, not right now, I'm watching you see if you bring out your phone. (laughs) But if you were to do a Google search, you would find that there are some 80 different conflicts that are found around the world right now. Since World War I, and we mentioned this, I believe, last week or the week before, since World War I, there have only been less than 10 years total where there has not been any major conflicts found around the world since World War I, and yet that was the war to end all wars. The Great War, the war that was supposed to bring in ultimate peace. It was going to bring in a sense of euphoria. It was going to be a wonderful world, but that didn't happen. We find the third seal is a rider on a black horse. This represents famine. Now we've already heard about the one country this morning. And we can't imagine what it would be like to to not have any of the staples that we take for granted. I appreciate what our brother Doug said in his prayer. We take these things for granted. We go to the store and there's one entire aisle that's filled with nothing but 400,269 different types of cereal boxes. But there are a lot of countries that don't have those things. And yet we take it for granted. And there are times when even as believers we go in and maybe we're a little reticent when we go out to eat and we sit there and and maybe we're ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ or we're ashamed of our testimony and we don't even bother to say thank you, Lord, for the food that we have. And yet what if we found ourselves in that situation as I think of this particular country and this is being recorded now so I'm not going to state what the name of that country is. But as we think about what they go through and what they must endure we, we really can't imagine. We can't imagine what it is like to have that little because we have been so blessed by God. And yet as Paul told the church at Corinth, out of the abundance of their poverty, they gave. If we had so much less than we do now, would we still be faithful to give to mission projects like this? Famine affects a great deal of the world today. Places like Sudan and South Sudan, a very difficult country for these people, these poor people who are struggling. And, and, and while we've got first world problems, third world problems are wondering whether you're actually going to have any food to eat this week, much less tomorrow or next week. And yet one of the truths that I find in Scripture is that God always takes care of, of His own children. And it doesn't matter where you go. Some of you have had the privilege of visiting churches in other countries third world countries, and you will know that those people have so little, but when it comes to praising God, they praise God with all of their heart, soul, and mind. Because they have learned to recognize a long time ago that their position in Christ is not based on the amount of money that they've got in a bank account. It's not based on the amount of food that they have in their cupboards. It's not based on how many clothes they have in their closet. 
You see, if God were to take everything away from us, if we found ourselves like Job this week and we had no job and we had no food and we had no house and we lost everything and we had our body was covered with some kind of illness that was threatening to take our life away, would we still sing the praises of our Redeemer? You see, this is true biblical Christianity. This is how it changes us from the inside out. Because if you have nothing and have Jesus Christ, you are rich beyond all measure. But you can be as rich as Bill Gates or any of the other people who are billionaires in this world. And if you do not have Jesus Christ, then you are the poorest of all poor. We find the fourth seal was a pale horse. This is death and destruction that is coming. I don't know if any of you were down. Uh, anybody here serving maybe in the military uh, when, when uh, Hurricane Andrew came through? Uh, back, I believe it was early 1992, somewhere around there. There are several hurricanes that have taken place. Or maybe you've been in an area of the country where, where earthquakes have taken place. And the death and destruction that comes from that, I remember not too many years ago when the tsunami hit in Southeast Asia and wiped out a quarter of a million people in about 15 seconds. Why do those things take place? Where was God? I mean, did God forget about those poor people? No, God didn't forget. God is still where he has always been. He is on his throne. The reason those tragedies and those trials take place in our lives and in this world is because of sin entering the world. That's not the way God designed this world to be. But one day we are assured, 2 Peter chapter 3 tells us that one day even the elements themselves will burn up and God himself will create a brand new heaven and a brand new earth and there will be no imperfections in that world. We then found the fifth seal. This was the voice of the martyrs. These are those who were slain for the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and if you were recall, if you were here, there was a break here. And what we saw was a break between the wrath of man against God and his anointed, as we find in Psalm chapter 2, and then the outpouring of the wrath of God. I do not believe that we can rightly say that the mass murder of believers by the unbelievers is condemnation from God. That's a promotion for those who will be here during that time. And again, we are reminded that God controls all things. But the scriptures indicate that these first five solidify the right and holy justice that will come upon the world. If you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, I do not believe that there will be joy in our hearts, that there will be happiness when we see the destruction that comes upon this world. I do not believe that we will rejoice when we see the things that take place against our family, our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues for having rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Bible is clear that during that time when that happens, God's justice will be right. We then found the sixth seal. The sixth seal is the cosmic disturbance. This is when the sun turns to, to dark, to, uh, turns dark, the moon turns to blood. There's a great earthquake that takes place, and it is at this point that the wrath of the Lamb is getting ready to be poured out upon the earth. 
If you remember at the conclusion of chapter 6, we find even the kings, from the kings all the way down to the paupers of the earth, they all cry out, save us from the wrath of the Lamb. Then in chapter 7 though, there's a bit of an interlude. And in this interlude, we hear the sevenfold praise that is being sung to the Almighty as His anthem rings throughout heaven. I cannot imagine what this must sound like. But first we find the four and twenty elders and then we find the angels and, and then we find all of those who are true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who are singing. Those from every age who will be standing before God and all singing together, all singing in their own language, singing to the Creator, singing to the Lord God Almighty. Everybody who is in heaven There will not be one regret. We will be able to stand and we will sing and we will sing without any sin. There will be no tears in our eyes. There will be no sadness. There will be no sickness. There will only be perpetual, eternal joy. The prayers of all true saints now will have been fulfilled. Throughout history, many are the prayers that have been wept, that have been unheard, maybe only but to the Good Shepherd. Can you imagine, we mentioned the country this morning, can you imagine what those prayers must sound like? Oh Lord, how long? Oh Lord, how long, how long do we have to continue to endure this? All, all we want to do is worship you. All we want to do is love you. One day evil will have the end of its day. And God will rightly judge those who have rejected Him. We read this quote, although the world is rocking and reeling and its very foundations are crumbling at the center of the universe, God's eternal throne is still as solid and secure as ever. God is sovereign and the Lamb is still Savior and everything is under perfect control. Whereas Jesus was referred to as a lamb once in the Old Testament, twice in the Gospels, and once in the Epistles in 1 Peter chapter 1, he is referred to as the lamb 28 times in the book of Revelation. And so we concluded chapter 7 by looking at the great shepherd. We looked at the shepherd's sovereignty, Ephesians chapter 1, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I can tell you if your hope is found in anything other than Jesus, as we sang in that hymn, my hope is built on nothing less. If your hope is built on the stock market, I'm afraid you're going to be disappointed. If your hope is built in your bank account, you're going to be disappointed. If your hope is built in anything else, if your hope is built in one another, we are going to disappoint you. But the great shepherd will never disappoint you. We found not only the shepherd's sovereignty, but the shepherd's servants. Luke chapter 17, verse 10. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say this, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. This is what God calls us to do. 
And it doesn't matter what, or, what it is. It doesn't matter whether it's printing the bulletins or whether it's coming out here and mowing the grass or, or giving in the offering or, or providing to special mission projects. Whatever it is that God calls you to do, simply be faithful. We found thirdly the shepherd's shelter. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And yet he did that for us. And then finally we saw the shepherd's care. As the only rightful lamb, he guides to a place where every saint who crosses from these shadow lands into eternity will find being in heaven will simply last forever. Brother, where's Brother Al? Brother Al? Oh, there he is. I see him. You're hiding back there. Brother Al's been going over Genesis and, and he went over in the beginning God. You know, this is about where my uh, uh, feeble uh, memory, if you will, the, 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 the reality of where time sets in. I, I can't begin to understand that. Because if you go back to creation, that might be, according to many biblical scholars, and I believe as well, may be anywhere from six, seven, eight thousand years old. The world is not millions and billions of years old. That's made up. And the reason that it's made up is because it is designed to remove God from his rightful place in the beginning, God. But before that, what happened? What took place? God had perfect communion within the Godhead, within the Trinity. How long was that for? Start counting. Was it a million years? Was it a billion years? Was it a trillion years? We can't begin to comprehend that kind of number. And yet God has always existed. God will always exist. And there is only one time in all of history, in all of time that would ever be recorded, there is only one time that God himself would die, and it was on the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ. So that our sins might be forgiven. So that we might be able to have a relationship between God and us once again. And it was initiated by God, not by you or me. So now after the brief interlude of chapter 7, we come now to verse 1. And the glorious praises that have been sung and that were raised throughout all of the heavens. I mean, can you imagine this, this innumerable host? How many are there? I don't know. But everybody who is going to be saved will be there. And they will all be singing. But all of a sudden, in the midst of all of this, we find chapter 8, verse 1. And as the world prepares for the seventh seal and the seven trumpets, he, we read again, the Lamb opened the seventh seal and there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now I don't believe that I can rightly paint this picture for you, but I'm going to try. Do you remember in the book of Isaiah where the cherubim and the seraphim are actually singing the praises of God? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And this is what they are to do for all of time. Job tells us that the angels gathered together and sang at the beginning of creation. We are told that when the angels came down in Luke chapter 2, what happened at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ? There was an entire heavenly host that is singing praises to God. But now all of a sudden, there's not a sound. Just silence. 
hard to imagine what this silence really represents. Maybe for the only time since its creation, maybe for the only time in all of history, this will be the only time that it records that heaven is silent. We're not given an exact reason why there's such an abrupt end being sung or the song of the Lamb being sung. Nor are we told why the space of exactly half an hour or about half an hour. Can you imagine as as John is seeing this vision and, and he is writing and he's got his quill there and he's writing on the parchment and he sees that must have been an interminable length of time for him as he writes. Nothing is moving. It's almost like the calm, the still before the storm. But we do have some indicators from the Old Testament. Psalm 76, verse 8 and 9, I believe gives one of the first ones. From the heavens you uttered judgment. The earth feared and was still when God arose to establish judgment to save all the humble of the earth. Selah, think about this. Meditate on this. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 7. Be silent before the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated His guests. And then finally in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 13. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for He has roused Himself from His holy dwelling. Let's know what comment, one commentary noted on this passage. When Jesus Christ as the Lamb breaks the seventh seal, the scroll of God's judgment is fully revealed for the first time. Now all of heaven can see God's plan to judge the wickedness of the earth, destroy the kingdom of the beast, and set things right. All of heaven remains silent as God's righteousness is on display. In a way, the silence in heaven could be seen as the calm before the storm, the storm of final judgment coming upon the earth. The silence emphasizes the importance and the impressiveness of this seventh and final seal. And with the opening of the seventh seal comes a climax in the day of the Lord. Evil has had its day. Now the Lord Yahweh will have his. End quote. Maybe there's a solemnness that comes because of everything that is unfurled and this seal that is finally broken, the last seal on the scroll And those who are standing around the throne finally see the fruition of what they have been praying for for all of history. From the beginning when the blood of Abel cries out from the ground and cries out to God for for, for justice to be done until the very last person is put to death through persecution, through trials, through tribulations, Evil you did and does have its day right now. 
But I am thankful. I was speaking with somebody this last week and, and we were talking. I, I am so thankful for the mercy of God. I am so thankful that the Holy Spirit is still in control here yeah. on this earth. You and I would not dare to come out of our homes if there was no kind of control here. Secondly, we find that there are seven trumpets that were given. Again, if you were writing in your notes, the first point, silence reigns. Secondly, seven trumpets have been given in verse 2. At times, the number seven is used to represent completion or perfection. And while it can be figurative, in chapter 8, we find seven references to a trumpet or the sounding of a trumpet here. I believe this is actually seven different soundings of a trumpet. One person noted, trumpets were used as a battle call, and these trumpets are calling the angels to battle. If you remember, for those of you who were here last week, we mentioned about the the army of Sennacherib, the Assyrian king who comes and God sends in one night and one angel, one death angel comes and kills 185,000 of the enemy. That's just one angel. But now we find seven angels that are getting ready to pour out God's wrath upon the entire world. We find thirdly, who is this angel at the altar? Now I read several commentaries on this and there are some who believe that this is a representation of the Lord Jesus Christ because he is not only the lamb but he is worthy to be able to, uh, he is worthy alone to be able to open the scroll, to be able to break all of the seals. But whether it is a special angel, maybe one of the seraphim, maybe Gabriel or Michael the archangel, we are not told any further information But he is standing at the altar. And in verse 3 and 4, let's read these verses once again. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which is the prayers of the saints, rose before God from the hand of the angel. Let's talk about this golden altar for just a moment. The altar of incense, one person put it this way, this was known as the golden altar which was located at the west end of the holy place. If if you remember the Old Testament, when the tabernacle was built, the tent that was made by human hands, and then eventually in the temple. So this is a a great golden altar that would have been there with, with four horns on it. And it stands directly in front of the veil or that which separates the holy place from the holiest of holies. It was made from acacia wood overlaid with gold. It was one foot, six inches square, and three feet high. And I believe as many scholars do that the the representation of what we see in the temple and the tabernacle in the Old Testament was simply a representation of what we actually will see for real in heaven. It has gold rings on it to be able to hold the gold-covered wooden poles used to carry the altar. And it had a gold crown around the top edge. And it had also horns on each corner, end quote. But what is important about this golden altar is that it holds a golden censer. A censer was used to be able to hold the incense which was wafted by the priest before God. One commentary noted this, the clear implication is that the censer is here used as a symbol of judgment, apparently in response to the intercession and prayers of the saints in the midst of the great tribulation. 
Now it's interesting, if you go back in your Bibles, and I want you to look at this with me, he says this twice. In verse 3, he says he was given much incense to offer with what? The prayers of all the saints. And he says again at, in verse 4, and the smoke of the incense with the what? Prayers of the saints. Now, I believe that the golden incense or the golden censer which is, which is on the altar, this is what is holding this incense before God. That which is offered as a sweet smelling sacrifice. Now it's interesting that the incense which was actually used was made up of 11 different spices of which we are only given four of them by name. Another commentary notes this, the ingredients of this powder made a perfume that was not to be used by anyone else for any other purpose than in the tabernacle. It symbolized Jesus' life and could not be imitated by another. Do you ever struggle with prayer? Do you ever struggle in your daily life and you wonder sometimes, what do I say to God? I mean, God, the God of all creation, I mean, if He knows all things, why, why even pray? Because God commands us to. He desires to have fellowship with us. He gives us His words so that we might read His answer and His love letter to us. But in turn, He desires for us to be able to reach out to Him and to extend our prayers of intercession, our prayers of confession, our prayers desiring strength and healing for other people. But have you ever been, and you don't have to raise your hand, but have there ever been times in your life when you soaked your pillow at night with your tears and all you could do is lift up your voice and say, God, I, I just, I don't know what to say, but you take what's in my heart. Have you ever prayed for a loved one? Have you ever wondered, Lord, they're getting older, I'm getting older. Uh, Lord, are, are, they, are they truly going to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are they going to go out into eternity? And, and we pray for our kids and we pray for our loved ones and we pray for our colleagues and we pray for all these individuals that God places on our heart and we don't see it come to fruition. You ever been there? These prayers that we're talking about, they're all being collected in heaven by God. One day the incense of all of these prayers are going to be mixed together. And as we found in the first part of Revelation, how long, O oh Lord? Well, we don't have to worry about that anymore. Now the time has come. And God is going to pour out His wrath. All the prayers that were extended. And then because we will see clearly... We won't have eyes that are clouded with sin. We won't have eyes that are clouded with the cares and the concerns of all the world. We will see Jesus Christ in all of His glory. And everything that was meant to be will be revealed. And we will realize that every prayer, whether answered with a yes, answered with a no, answered with a maybe, answered with a I thought you would never ask and here's more, all of those will be revealed as we stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This incense in the Old Testament, it was oil that was for the, used for the candlestick and as it was replenished, the incense would be given and, and it was to be constantly burning. These prayers that we offer, they are continually before God. 
This is why I believe Paul mentions in the book of Romans, even when we don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit takes these things and takes them up as a sweet-smelling savor before the Father. Finally this morning, we come to the angel's second task. And in this task, in verse 5, he first goes and he fills the censer with fire. Throughout human history, God has given warnings. Throughout history, his judgment that has come upon mankind, God was very gracious in the days of Noah. And Noah, a preacher of righteousness, preached for how long? 120 years. And he preached and he said, judgment is coming. Repent. Judgment is coming. Repent. Sodom and Gomorrah. The angels come. They go to meet Lot. They actually tell Lot, go out, tell your family. Tell them that judgment is coming. They need to go out with us. God was still gracious to them. We find when John came on the scene, the apostle, or the, the, uh, 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 John the Baptist, he prays, or and as he preaches, he says, I am preaching of sin, righteousness, and the coming judgment. Even the apostle Paul, when the apostle Paul is speaking before Agrippa and Felix and Drusilla, and he says to them, I'm preaching again of sin, righteousness, and the coming judgment. Why? Because that is the message. Why would there be a hope that we can proclaim if it wasn't because of sin in the world? If you could get there on your own, you wouldn't need Jesus. The judgment is coming. And it's not something that we rejoice in. It's something that that pains our hearts. It's something that should pain the heart of every true believer as we look and see what is going to take place. All the beauty that we see around us. You go to the Alps or you go to the Rockies or you go to the Sierra Nevadas or wherever you go around the world. You go to the beach and you see all the beauty of this world that God has made and one day realizing that all of this is just going to melt up. But as this angel fills this censer with fire, the time for warning is now finished. You see, my friend, if you are here this morning and you have never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, alone, plus nothing, minus nothing, you will one day remember this message. You will one day remember the message of every minister who has ever been faithful to share with you the truth of God's word, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Is it any wonder that the earth itself cries out? And in chapter 6, all of mankind cries for the mountains and the rocks to fall on them. Why? Because the earth was given notice of impending doom. If they continue to reject the Son, they will have to pay the price. And now the angel of God, this messenger of death, reaches into the altar and he doesn't fill the golden censer with just a few coals. He fills it completely full, is the word, with fire. Judgment is here. What does he then do with that golden censer? He takes that golden censer that is full of the wrath of God It has been mixed with the prayers of the saints. Those who have prayed longingly, waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 2, looking for that what? 
the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those prayers are all mixed in that censer. And that angel comes and he stands at the edge of heaven, standing beside the throne of God, and he casts it down to earth. The destruction that follows. This is often seen, this is a, 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 a phrase or a series of words that are used multiple times. We saw them, for example, when the Lord Jesus Christ died, we find that the sun went black. We find that there is an earthquake. This, this is common language that is being used throughout the New Testament and even in parts of the old one, the judgment of God comes. Do you remember when Moses goes up to the mount and the people of Israel are warned there was lightning, flashes of thunder, or flashes of lightning and thunder. There was an earthquake and the people did not dare come to the mount of God. You might ask me this morning, why, why, would you, why, why are you trying to scare me? Why, why can't we have nice messages that will lift us up and that will make us feel good about ourselves? <clears throat> Fellow believers, one day we will have all knowledge. One day we will know and we will see perfectly. We will know all that God wants us to know. But it is not for here in this life. It, go and look in the mirror when you get home if you don't believe me. I already did this morning and I, yes, I'm getting older. We're not getting any younger. When we were born, we are born already dying. And the question is, what will you do with Jesus Christ? We're getting ready to come to the Lord's table this morning. At this table that is before us, there is nothing holy about this. As far as the bread or, or, or the cup, there's nothing special. There's no merit. There's no saving grace. You can, you can swallow every bit of that grape juice by yourself. You can eat every one of the crackers that are in here and it will not bring you one step closer to Jesus. The reason that we're able to do these things, the reason why one day we will stand before Christ and together we will partake of the marriage supper of the Lamb is because Jesus Christ alone is worthy. woe to those who are on earth. Lord willing, we are going to be looking at least at the first four of those trumpets which are going to blow next week, possibly the fifth one as well. But I want to conclude before we partake or come to the Lord's table this morning. My friends, if you don't know Christ, you will not be able to escape the wrath of the Lamb on your own any more than I could when I came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't because of me. It wasn't because God something, saw something special in Mark and just had to have me as one of His children. God will not be mocked forever, my friends. And just as every prophet and messenger of the Most High has proclaimed throughout all the millenniums, flee from the wrath to come. Yes, the Lamb will have His reward, for He alone is worthy. But part of that reward is the destruction of all His enemies. You say, well, that's not very fair. You and I don't have the right to determine what is fair. And yet, despite the coming destruction, despite the warnings, despite everything that is coming, God still extends the offer to you 
Whosoever will may come. Drink of the water of life freely. How much more could you ask for from a gracious God who sees our sin, who sees our wickedness, who sees our depravity, and yet still reaches down and sets His eternal love upon us? John chapter 3, verse 16. What a wonderful passage. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And then you get to the end of the passage in chapter 3, verse 36, and we find... But those who do not believe the wrath of God still abides upon them. My friend, if you don't know for sure, if you were to leave from here today and you were to pass away in a car accident or a heart attack or whatever it may be that ends up taking you from this life, are you prepared to meet God? And if God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What's your answer going to be? If you have not cried out to God for mercy, then on that day of the Lord when the trumpets begin to blow, you and the whole earth will know that the gospel message that you heard over and over is true. But there is hope. Just as the children of Israel were given the command when they were bitten by the fiery snakes in the book of Numbers, do you remember what the command was? Look and live. Look to Jesus and live. He's the answer. Not because it's going to give you a better life. Not because your life is going to be a better roses. Not because all of your prayers and your wishes are going to be answered all of a sudden. But because you will know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. What more could you ask for from this world, from this life? Look and live. As the hymn writer wrote, look and live, my brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. Let's pray. Father, it is not for are not a lot of believers to rejoice in the destruction of the world. It is ours to rejoice that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life and that salvation is available to any who would come and call and cry out to God for mercy. May your Holy Spirit have his will and his way this morning. And if there is even one this morning who does not know you as Lord and Savior, would you bring them to salvation? Not because we need one more number, but to know, as the book of Luke says, that every sinner who repents, there is joy in the presence of the angels. What rejoicing there would be for every person, and there has been for those who have come to faith in you here at Yellowstone. We pray that this would long continue until you call us home. As we partake of the Lord's table this morning, we ask that you would be glorified in our lives. Lord, if there's anything that stands between us and you and that fellowship, that sweet fellowship that we should have, we pray that you would forgive us of that sin and that we would partake with joy and rejoicing that today is one less time that we have to partake until you return. We look forward to that day with great anticipation. 
And the older we get and the more turmoil and the problems that we see in this world, the more we should be longing for Jesus Christ to return. As John prayed in the book of Revelation chapter 22, we pray also, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. We ask this in your precious and most holy name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.